0: chapter 25 of the insidious dr fu manchu this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by fnh the insidious dr fu manchu by sax roma chapter 25 i was being carried along a dimly lighted tunnel-like place slung sackwise across the shoulder of a burman he was not a big man but he supported my considerable weight with apparent ease. A deadly nausea held me, but the rough handling had served to restore me to consciousness. My hands and feet were closely lashed. I hung limply as a wet towel. I felt that this spark of tortured life which had flickered up in me must ere long finally have become extinguished. A fancy possessed me. In these first moments of my restoration to the world of realities that I had been smuggled into China, and as I swung my head downwards I told myself that the huge, puffy things which strewed the path were a species of giant toadstool unfamiliar to me, and possibly peculiar to whatever district of China I was now in. The air was hot, steamy, and loaded with the smell as of rotting vegetation. I wondered why my bearer so scrupulously avoided touching any of the unwholesome-looking growths in passing through what seemed a succession of cellars, but steered a tortuous course among the bloated unnatural shapes, lifting his bare brown feet with a cat-like delicacy. He passed under a low arch, dropped me roughly to the ground, and ran back. Half stunned, I lay watching the agile brown body melt into the distances of the cellars. These walls and roof seemed to emit a faint phosphorescent light. Petrie, came a weak voice from somewhere ahead. "'Is that you, Petrie?" "'It was Nayland Smith.' Smith, I said, and strove to sit up, but the intense nausea overcame me, so that I all but swooned. I heard his voice again, but could attach no meaning to the words which he uttered. A sound of terrific blows reached my ears, too, for the burman reappeared bending under the heavy load which he bore, for as he picked his way through the bloated things which grew upon the floors of the cellars, I realized that he was carrying the inert body of Inspector Weymouth, and I found time to compare the strength of the little brown man with that of a Nile beetle, which can raise many times its own weight. Then behind him appeared a second figure, which immediately claimed the whole of my errant attention. Fu Manchu, hissed my friend from the darkness which concealed him. It was indeed none other than Fu Manchu, THE Fu Manchu, whom we had thought to be helpless. The deeps of the Chinaman's cunning, the fine quality of his courage, were forced upon me as amazing facts he had assumed the appearance of a drugged opium-smoker so well as to dupe me a medical man, so well as to dupe Karamane, whose experience of the noxious habit probably was greater than my own, and with the gallows dangling before him, he had waited, played the part of a lure, whilst a body of police actually surrounded the place. I have since thought that the room probably was one which he actually used for opium debauches, and the device of the trap was intended to protect him during the comatose period. Now, holding a lantern above his head, the divisor of the trap wherein we, mouse like, had blindly entered, came through the cellars, following the brown man who carried Weymouth. The faint rays of the lantern, it apparently contained a candle, revealed a veritable forest of the gigantic fungi, poisonously coloured, hideously swollen, climbing from the floor up the slimy walls, climbing like horrid parasites to such part of the arched roof as was visible to me. Fu Manchu picked his way through the fungi ranks as daintily as though the distorted tumid mid-things had been viper-headed. The resounding blows which I had noted before, and which had never ceased, culminated in a splintering crash. Dr. Fu Manchu and his servant, who carried the apparently insensible detective, passed in under the arch, Fu Manchu glancing back once along the passages. The lantern he extinguished, or concealed, and whilst I waited— my mind dully surveying memories of all the threats which this uncanny being had uttered, a distant clamor came to my ears. Then, abruptly, it ceased. Dr. Fu Manchu had closed a heavy door, and to my surprise I perceived that the greater part of it was of glass. The willow, the wisp glow which played around the fungi rendered the vista of the cellars faintly luminous and visible to me from where I lay. Fu Manchu spoke softly. His voice, its guttural note alternating with a sibilance on certain words, betrayed no traces of agitation. The man's unbroken calm had in it something inhuman, for he had just perpetrated an act of daring unparalleled in my experience, and in the clamour now shut out by the glass door I tidily recognised the entrance of the police into some barricaded part of the house, the coming of those who would save us, who would hold the Chinese doctor for the hangman. I have decided— he said deliberately, that you are more worthy of my attention than I had formerly supposed. A man who can solve the secret of the golden elixir—I had not solved it, I had merely stolen some—should be a valuable acquisition to my counsel. The extent of the plans of Mr. Commissioner Nayland Smith, and of the English-Scotland Yard, it is incumbent upon me to learn. Therefore, gentlemen, you live, for the present. "'And you'll swing,' came Weymouth's hoarse voice, "'in the near future.' YOU AND ALL YOUR YELLOW GANG! I trust not, was the placid reply. Most of my people are safe, some are shipped as lascars upon the liners, others have departed by different means. Ah! The last word was the only one indicative of excitement which had yet escaped him. A disk of light danced among the brilliant poisonous hues of the passages, but no sound reached us, by which I knew that the glass door must fit almost hermatically. It was much cooler here than in the place through which we had passed, and the nausea began to leave me, my brain to grow more clear. Had I known what was to follow, I should have cursed the lucidity of mind which now came to me. I should have prayed for oblivion, to be spared the sight of that which ensued. "'It's Logan!' cried Inspector Weymouth, and I could tell that he was struggling to free himself of his bonds. From his voice it was evident that he too was recovering from the effects of the narcotic, which had been administered to us all. "'Logan!' he cried. "'Logan! This way! Help!' But the cry beat back upon us in that enclosed space, and seemed to carry no farther than the invisible walls of our prison. "'The door fits well,' came Fu Manchu's mocking voice. "'It is fortunate for us all that it is so. This is my observation window, Dr. Petrie, and you are about to enjoy the unique opportunity of studying fungology.' I have already drawn your attention to the anaesthetic properties of the lycopodon, or common puffball. You may have recognized the fumes. The chamber into which you rashly precipitated yourself was charged with them. By a process of my own, I have greatly enhanced the value of the puffball in this respect. Your friend, Mr. Weymouth, proved most obstinate subject, but he succumbed in fifteen seconds. "'Logan! Help! Help! This Wayman. Something very like fear sounded in Weymouth's voice now. Indeed, the situation was so uncanny that it almost seemed unreal. A group of men had entered the furthermost cellars, led by one who bore an electric pocket-lamp. The hard white ray danced from bloated grey fungi to others of nightmare shape, of dazzling, venomous brilliance. The mocking lecture-room voice continued. "'Note the snowy growth upon the roof, Doctor. Do not be deceived by its size.' It is a giant variety of my own culture, and is of the order Empunza. You in England are familiar with the death of the common housefly which is found attached to the window-pane by a coating of white mould? I have developed the spores of this mould, and have produced a giant species. Observe the interesting effect of the strong light upon my orange and blue Amaminanta fungus. Hard beside me I heard Nayland Smith groan. Weymouth had become suddenly silent. For my own part, I could have shrieked in pure horror, for I knew what was coming. I realized in one agonized instant the significance of the dim lantern, of the careful progress through the subterranean fungi grove, of the care with which Fu Manchu and his servant had avoided touching any of the growths. I knew now that Dr. Fu Manchu was the greatest fungologist the world had ever known, was a poisoner to whom the Borgias were as children, and I knew that the detectives blindly were walking into a valley of death. Then it began, the unnatural scene, the Saturnia of murder. Like so many bombs, the brilliantly colored caps of the huge toadstool-like things alluded to by the Chinaman exploded, as the white ray sought them out in the darkness, and which alone preserved their existence. A brownish cloud, I could not determine whether liquid or powdery, arose in the cellar. I tried to close my eyes, or to turn them away from the reeling forms of the men who were trapped in that poison hole. It was useless. I must look. The bearer of the lamp had dropped it, but the dim, eerily illuminated gloom endured scarce a second. A bright light sprang up, doubtless at the touch of the fiendish being who now resumed speech. Observe the symptoms of delirium, Doctor. Out there, beyond the glass door. The unhappy victims were laughing, tearing their garments from their bodies, leaping, waving their arms, were become maniacs. "'We will now release the ripe spores of giant Entepusa,' continued the wicked voice. The air of the second cellar being supercharged with oxygen, they immediately germinate. "'Ah! It is a triumph! That process is the scientific triumph of my life!' Like powdered snow, the white spores fell from the roof frosting the writhing shapes of the already poisoned men. Before my horrified gaze, the fungus grew. It spread from the head to the feet of those it touched. It enveloped them as in glittering shrouds. "'They die like flies!' screamed Fu Manchu, with a sudden febrile excitement, and I felt assured of something I had long suspected, that the magnificent, perverted brain was the brain of a homicidal maniac, though Smith would never have accepted the theory." It is my fly trap, shrieked the Chinaman, and I am the god of destruction. End of chapter twenty five recording by FNH, recorded in Sunny Anchorage, Alaska.